Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I've thought about meditation for a long time. One of my business partners swears by it and has done it for half a decade. And we've read about it, all of us in America, as one of the things you should do in the new year. And I've thought about why wouldn't I be meditating? It's supposedly so easy, but I've never been able to do it. So I wanted to bring someone on to break down that barrier or wall on being able to get started practically with doing some sort of meditation. And what you'll find here today from Sharon Salzberg, who has a New York Times bestseller. She's written amazing books. Real Happiness is one. Real Change is another. Love and Kindness. She a, has a podcast called Meta hour, not meta as into another world, but love and kindness. And that's gotten over 3 million downloads. She was doing meditation and mindfulness way before it was cool to do. And a prolific author in the space. And what you'll learn from her today is why meditation is so important, what it can do for you, how it can help us become less distracted. What does that do for our executive function? what mindfulness really is and why we want more mindfulness in our lives. And then the benefits around meditation to increase our happiness set point, as she describes. One of my favorite things I learned is that meditation does not need to be some long, arduous task every day of the week. It's much simpler, much easier to tackle than I ever thought. And I think you'll feel the same. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. I'm going to start with, we do a Q&A, a lightning round Q&A to start the show, not to end the show, because it's a way for our audience to get to know Sharon a little bit. So I would ask you first, what is your favorite song to sing? <laughs> to sing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, to sing? To or sing. just song? You can do either. I'd say anything from the musical Hamilton. Oh, anything from Hamilton. We get a lot of Hamilton fans in the in the studio here. They're very excited about that. I it's funny. I had ha- Hamilton on. I've um I have a car that <laughs> I have a car that has this thing called jukebox in it. So back it's it's probably 7 or 8 years old. So back when I, your phone was obviously Bluetooth was still a thing, but it wasn't the only thing where CDs were a thing and you would load CDs and then it would just store them. And it still does. And the, for the first time in probably eight years or seven years, I, I turned that on and some Hamilton songs came up and my kids were like, what the hell is this beep? 
are you listening to? And I was like, I just, there was a tie. Hamilton was popular. <laughs> I wanted to hear it. All right. So Hamilton, number two, core, favorite core pursuit in the world. It's a hobby on steroids besides meditation. Oh, besides meditation, reading. Number of reading. Okay. Well, okay. Then what's your favorite book? <laughs> Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Zen mind, beginner's mind. Snuck a little meditation in there, yeah. Okay, you did. Favorite instrument? Viola. Ooh, that's pretty. That is pretty. Favorite uh, favorite food? Uh, Indian food of any kind. Oh, I was thinking like one dish, but you can go over an one entire dish. Okay, cuisine. Okay, sag paneer. Oh, let's say sag paneer. Okay. Spinach right, what is and that? cheese. What is that? It's oh, spinach, spinach and okay. cheese with spices. Okay. <laughs> All right. Favorite place you've ever traveled in Michigan? Ann Arbor. Okay. That's good. That's nice. Uh, how about in the world? India. Uh, say Bodhgaya, the town of Bodhgaya in India. Say that again. It's the town Bodhgaya. is called Bodhgaya. Bodhgaya. It houses, uh, so to speak, uh, the descendant of the tree they say the Buddha was sitting under when he became enlightened. Oh. Oh, Buddha became enlightened. So wait, there was a moment that he became yeah. enlightened? There was a moment sitting what? under a tree. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Okay, well then let's go into meditation. Let's talk about your passion. I was on uh, the, I was at Hartsfield Jackson Airport the other day. I was riding in uh, the tram to go from one terminal to another. And I was listening to one of your meditations mm -hmm. uh, that was very cool. And it very, it, I was very relaxed on the, on the tram. The, um, but I'm, I am meditation is one of these interesting things where I know it's great. I love the idea of it. I like, I want to do it. I've tried it a little bit, uh, but I don't for some reason have, I've never been able to dive into it. And I guess the, along with yoga is another thing that I want to do that I have never really done. So, and I know there's some, some relationship there, but if we were just to purely forget yoga and just say, I want to be able to meditate and I want to do it. And I want it to help. One of my business partners swears by meditation. It's like changed his life for the last five years. Tell how, do, how would you get started to do that? If you're just the average guy like me or, someone listening to this podcast i would and see, why would i and why and why why would i want to do it why why do i want to do meditation i think you you might want to do it as an experiment you know it doesn't really work if it feels coerced you know like i've got to do it <laughs> i have yeah. to improve myself it's <laughs> kind of nasty but um if if it intrigues you in some way you know if whether it's stress reduction or more clarity of mind or more perspective or more balance. And most people, you know, are brought to it because they're unhappy in some way. They're unhappy with how they're treating their kids or uh, how badly they're sleeping or something, you know, but not always. Sometimes it's just this big curiosity about life. And I always say, just see what seems reasonable to you. Maybe that's um, three times a week for a month. You know, what? where do you want to set the terrain of the experiment? And each time you practice, let's say you're going to do sitting meditation, it could be five minutes. It doesn't have to be more than 12 minutes, which is what the neuroscientists are saying. 12 wow, minutes so 12 a day. is the diminishing marginal return point on meditation? 
Uh, that's what the latest neuroscience that I've heard says. 12 minutes a day, three to five times a week. Well, actually, that's not results. a big commitment. Okay. No, no, it's definitely not a big commitment. I think a little self knowledge huh. is important here too. Like what I said to to that neuroscientist actually, who's a friend of mine, was for me three to five times a week wouldn't work because it would be Monday and I think I'll start on Wednesday, then it'd be Wednesday and I think I'll do it three times on Saturday. But every day is yeah. every day, so it's yeah. easier for me to say I'm going to do this every day for five minutes or twelve minutes for a month. And that's it. Then you make the experiment. So if I were to do this, okay, how would I then start? Would I go to and and you're a world renowned teacher and and you've been in your New York Times bestselling author? Uh, where would can I just go to YouTube and find a video of you leading a meditation? But what is what is a good starting point for somebody? I mean, you could the the uh, book that you're referring to that was on the New York Times bestseller list that I wrote was called Real Happiness, and it's sort of a guide to how to meditate, how to begin or renew a practice. And uh, basically, you know, I think what's most important is that we understand what to expect, because people can be really merciless toward themselves. Like, you know, I failed at this because I couldn't drive all thoughts out of my head, or I couldn't keep my mind totally blank, or I couldn't have only blissful feeling, and it's nothing like that. It's really not about annihilating part of our experience. Meditation is more about changing our relationship to everything that we experience. You know, like you might have a very uh, difficult, painful feeling. You don't necessarily want to have that drive you into action or making a choice. You know, you want to be able to deal with it differently, perhaps. Or you might see this beautiful, amazing, wonderful thing is happening and you're really reluctant to go for it, to let yourself feel it. Uh, And you might notice that habit. And then you say, well, just relax, you know, enjoy this, something like that. And so it's all about changing our relationship to what appears. So when did you, I mean, you were doing this before and meditation was cool. Um, So long before. (laughs) Yeah. When did you, what got, what got you into doing this? Well, like many people, you know, I had a very uh, traumatic, difficult childhood, and I went to college when I was 16. I'm a product of the New York City public school system, where people mm-hmm. skipped grades often. And yeah. in my sophomore year, there was a philosophy requirement, and I just chose Asian philosophy, like worked out for my schedule or something like that. And yeah. And and in this the one's context, three credits, but less amount of time. I'm taking it. <laughs> I'm taking that one, you know, yeah. and, and that's exactly what it was like. And <laughs> and it totally changed my life. And in the context of that class, I heard that there were methods, there were techniques, they were very practical. That if you actually chose to do them, you could be a lot happier. And uh, I think if I was going to describe myself in one word at the age of eighteen. Uh, it would be fragmented. You know, I, I could mm-hmm. sense I had no cohesiveness inside. And I was going to college in Buffalo, New York, so I looked around Buffalo. I did not see meditation instruction anywhere. Right. This is 1970. So I created an independent study project for the university. I said, I want to go to India and study meditation. And they said, okay. So off I went for my junior year. Wow. You, so you, so you had this thing that doesn't sound like a fragmented teenager. That sounds like a fairly teenager with some direction. 
there was a flame within that yeah. I, had, I had a wild intuition, which was a correct intuition, yeah. Yeah. and I followed it. So okay, so you went, you told the university, you said, "Look, I want to go study this. I'm going to go to India for a whole a whole year, or just a semester." It was a year, yeah. And what did you find there? That's very, this is a what an amazing story. Well, I was, you know, I had a very um, certain kind of vision. I wasn't interested in the philosophy. I wasn't interested in religious affiliation or you know becoming something or rejecting anything else. I really wanted to learn the how to. And uh, it happened that I found just that. It took a while. But I began meditating January 7th, 1971, uh, in the context of an intensive 10-day retreat. And that was um, methods of concentration, getting more centered, methods of uh, mindfulness, becoming more aware of my internal reality, everything I was feeling and thinking. Uh, methods of connection, you know, caring and compassion for myself and for others. And um, I haven't looked back since, in a way. Tell me about, uh, I, I love the thought of, con- of mindfulness and connection, but I don't, tell me what mindfulness really means to you. Is mindfulness the product of successful meditation, but what is, well, let's start with what is, what exactly is mindfulness? Well, I think of mindfulness as a certain skill of attention and meditation is one of the ways of cultivating that skill. It's a pretty direct way and it's the way I had, you know, so I like it quite a lot, but certainly not the only way to, to Mindfulness is it. a skill of attention? Yes. Yeah, so basically it's a quality of attention where our perception of what's happening in the moment is not so distorted by old habit, by bias, by future projections. So for example, if we feel physical discomfort, if we feel heartache, if we feel disappointment, most of us right away will start thinking, what's it gonna feel like tonight? What's it gonna feel like tomorrow? What's it gonna feel like next week? What's it gonna feel like next month? So not only do we have the actual experience of discomfort, we now have all that anticipation that we have added on top of it and we're trying to bear it all at once. So we feel defeated and overcome. So what we want to do through mindfulness is you can't stop those thoughts from coming, but not get so invested in them. So the thought, what's it going to feel like? You see it, you let go of it, you come back to what's actually happening. That would be one example. Or or maybe... Um, all the many kind of emotional states, we've sort of been taught we shouldn't feel that, shouldn't feel that, shouldn't feel that. So as soon as they come, we're sort of pushing them away a little bit. Or, uh, you know, what I was like referring to. Give me an example of that. I shouldn't feel this because- I shouldn't it, feel anger. Tell- I shouldn't feel sadness. I shouldn't feel, mm-hmm. um, there's a whole long list, you know. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't feel remorse. I shouldn't feel a whole bunch of stuff. And my, you're saying mindfulness can help us almost- does it mean that we can compartmentalize this or just meaning I cannot dwell on these things? It's, it's, uh, sometimes we call mindfulness a place in the middle. I'll tell you my favorite definition of mindfulness for a long time came from an article I read many years ago in the New York Times about one of the very, very early pilot programs bringing mindfulness into the classroom. So this was a fourth grade classroom in Oakland, California. So the kids were let's say nine or 10 years old. So the journalist asked one of these kids, what is mindfulness? 
what is mindfulness? And he responded by saying, mindfulness means not hitting someone in the mouth. That's what mindfulness means. And I thought <laughs> that is a great definition of mindfulness because what does it imply? It implies you know you're feeling angry when you're starting to feel angry, not after you've sent the email, not after yeah. you've lashed out at your children, you know, but as it's building because you're that much in touch. It also implies a certain balanced relationship to the anger because if we get consumed by all of these changing feelings, we'll probably hit a lot of people in the mouth because life can be really <laughs> frustrating. But on the other hand, if you're ashamed of what you're feeling and you're trying to deny it and you're trying to repress it and you get tighter and tighter and tighter, then you'll explode. So that doesn't work either. So mindfulness is this place in the middle where we're very aware and connected to what's happening, neither falling into it nor pushing it away. And that's a training. It's a mm. training of relating differently. Hey, y'all, it's Mallory Boggs, the producer for the Retire Sooner podcast. From an investment standpoint, the world is changing. We've gone from no inflation to hyperinflation, zero interest rates to much higher interest rates. All of this changes the dynamics for stocks and bonds. So the question for you, are your retirement accounts ready for it? Have you adapted your investments for these major shifts? Do you know what kind of income your 401k account is going to pay you in retirement? If not, maybe it's time for a new perspective. The Retire Sooner team is here to help. If you're ready to talk, reach out to our team and we'll help you take a closer look at how you can generate income in retirement and protect yourself from inflation. We'd love to hear from you. Again, find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If meditation that could also lead to, as an example, more connectedness, how does it, how does it do that? Or, and what's an example of that? I think with ourselves, um, we feel increasing tenderness and also um, just through awareness, like a, a fundamental kind of foundational exercise in meditation would be choosing an object of awareness let's say the feeling of the breath or the repetition of a word, something like that. Let's say the sensation of the in and out breath. We rest our attention on that feeling, but lo and behold, it doesn't stay there, our attention. You know, we're thinking about the past, we're thinking about the future. Your mind goes somewhere else. We're right? all over the place. And then comes the magic moment where we realize that. So how do we speak to ourselves in that moment? How do we believe we'll make progress? Do we try to punish ourselves? Do we call ourselves a failure? Do we rant at ourselves? Or can we let go and begin again? Which is a kind of resilience training, actually. Mm -hmm. Right? And so um, that would be a good example, learning how to let go more gently, learning how to begin again with more kindness toward ourselves. So a lot of people think kindness toward ourselves is like laziness, you know? It's you're going to lose all standards of excellence. You're not going to get ahead or, it's okay. or whatever. It's but okay. But if we actually look at what makes for progress, what 
helps us change a habit, what helps us learn something new. It's more along the lines of self-compassion than ranting at ourselves for an hour and a half, you know? So research shows that performance in, in an environment that's kind of harsh and punitive, whether it's internal or external, performance of anything will spike, but briefly, and then will crash. So if we want a more sustained way to make effort or make change, we need to develop a kind of kindness toward ourselves, which we can. So that's actually part of the training. How do you speak to yourself when you realize your mind wanders? And it's part of what I loved about meditation. It's like these itty-bitty little moments, which seem like nothing, are really reflections of a big change in life. Like, how many times a day do we have to start over? You know, we need a course yeah. correction or we fall down. Constantly, we have to pick right? ourselves up a lot. So is it fair to say that we all get some sort of different benefit from meditation or is it a similar benefit that we're, I guess we're more mindful, but what does that do for us? Is it, do, do we, or do we go about our lives and our day in a calmer way, in a, in a, in a, in a way that maybe creates less anxiety or what, what do you think the most common positive outcome is? For, for most people? Or is it I, just too, it's too diverse to say? No, I don't think it's diverse. I think it's pretty standard, actually, or classical, you know, like, although it's felt differently, you know, by everybody. But I think we feel we inhabit our lives more fully. We're less distracted. Um, you know, because it's not just the 12 minutes a day. It spills over to when you're um, drinking a cup of tea and you decide, I'm not going to multitask, actually. I'm going to really experience this. Hmm. Okay. So it also, so go ahead, keep going. So again, yeah, you're less then, distracted. And then I wouldn't say it wards off anxiety actually, but if anxiety hits, cause that's your tendency, you don't have to amplify it, you know, which we do by self blame, by feeling it's never going to end by feeling all alone, you know, so we, we get to see those, what we call add-ons, and let go of their grip, you know, so we're not making things worse anymore in that oh, way. I see. So we're, we're going to, we're going to, I guess there is a, there is a massive benefit. And again, this is coming from someone that lives in a life of distraction. And so, so like so many of us, I mean, I feel like America is a, uh, such a busy, hustly, bustly place. And mm -hmm. I, I think I kind of just, you know, I'm like the nucleus of that all the time with the market and the media and the, the companies and uh, projects and podcasts and books. And it's this constant whirlwind is that I almost live and thrive on a distracted life. Bing, 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 bing all over the place. And then, oh, I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to do this. And then I'll go back to work. And then I'll get family and kids. We're going to coach. Is it... Is it, uh, are, are we busier and, or maybe I, I don't, I can't, I loathe the word busy. Uh, are we, are we too spread a little too thin? And what you're saying is that if we were less distracted, then tell me again, what does that, what does that do for a, a, a spread thin American? Well, I think, um, interestingly, like the studies that have been done on mindfulness, in first responders and military people, you know, in 
active duty military people show that um, what's called executive function really increases so that mm-hmm. it's just, it's like clarity of mind. It's perspective, which even in a very busy active life you would want, you know, and in those cases, that's what helps avert disaster. You know, you see mm-hmm. shadow somewhere and you realize, oh, that's a lampshade, you know, that's not a sniper. So you don't mm-hmm. open fire. Um, things like that. So, Yeah, I guess executive function, though, is something that no matter who we are, what we're doing, no matter how many different multitasks we're doing, having that great executive function is very powerful. It's mm-hmm. a very powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that meditation and mindfulness is uh, channels that executive function and channels that focus and concentration mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that we can be, and this is maybe where, it's, so when someone says, oh, you're more present in the moment, which is also similar to, to being more mindful, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that there is real power in that. It, it does, it, it kind of enhances the, it's almost like it enhances the colors of the world is what you're saying. Yeah, well, definitely that. And then I think it also... Um, the mindfulness, it just increases self-knowledge incredibly because you understand like, I mean, here would be an example that's kind of personal, but could be universal. Like when I sit and practice mindfulness of my own fear, which is something I've had a chance to do, you know, when we have a, a difficult emotion like that, or, or even any intense emotion, even a very positive one, all our energy is usually going outward you know it's the story it's the experience it's the circumstance and in mindfulness we pivot it's almost like saying what am i feeling what is this feeling so it's not like what am i afraid of what am i going to do about it do i need to move you know it's like what is fear what does it feel like in my body what's what's it made of so one of the things i've seen is that despite the world's pronouncement which of course is also true that we're afraid of the unknown. I get afraid when I think I do know and it's going to be really bad. That's hmm. all the stories I tell myself, like you're going to go back to your apartment in New York and you haven't been in six months because of the pandemic, you can turn on the water and then, you know, didn't you read that, you know, people get Legionnaire's disease from turning on the water when the fuzz <laughs> hasn't been on for so long? And it's like, that's yeah. when I would get afraid. And that was a great insight for me to have just from observing because that obviously doesn't just happen when I'm sitting and meditating. That's a pattern. So right in the middle of it, if that arc of anxiety is beginning, I can remind myself, you know what? You don't know. And then I feel relief. I feel mm. some space. Does this kind of go back to, you've said that meditation is not necessarily about cutting down mm-hmm. intrusive thoughts. It's more about knowing how to react to those yeah, thoughts that's right. when, they, when, yeah. they, when they come. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. And if go- I result- can't avoid, yeah, I can't avoid these things coming into my head. That's meditation doesn't do that. It doesn't. It's going to be really frustrating. I think if you have that expectation of yourself, mm-hmm. they can cut yeah. down for sure, and we're not feeding them in the same way, and they may not be so pressing. But it's mostly the relationship that shifts. So let's say, what kind of meditation? Uh, folks, let's say, that are worried, you brought up pandemic and, you know, this worry about getting back to your apartment and turning on the water. But, you know, look, we've got pandemics and inflation and we've got wars going on and all the scary things in the world. Uh, does How can meditation 
maybe articulating how the, how how we can help with all those outside forces that we're just bombarded with every day. Well, I think we we can, you know, if we can see our thoughts before they take over and have us running down the street or whatever, or hopping in the car to buy something, um, then we have the chance, then we're empowered, you know? Like, um, there are times in my life when I've said to myself, why are you rehearsing that? Or what? which of these ills can you actually do something about and what's it going to be? You know, which of a, these ills, yeah. Okay, yeah. meaning like, what can you do? Like, what are we going to do about Russia, Ukraine? Like, what are you going to do? Yeah, well, maybe there's something you want to do. It may seem very small, you know, but, uh, you know, but it's never nothing. And, uh, but you can't necessarily, you know, change the big picture in one fell swoop. You know, so you decide, is there something I could do? Um, can I write to my congressperson? Can I give a donation? Can I, whatever, you know, uh, and for the things in which there's nothing, how many times am I going to sit and ruminate about this this morning only to feel like desperately unhappy? Does, does meditation, what, what do you think meditation versus physical exercise? I mean, it sounds like both would, would mm -hmm. make for a healthy life. Uh, I'm pretty light on both of those right now. Uh, probably zero on meditation, light on exercise. Uh, but, but what about the relationship that if you had to choose one or the other, or are they both equally important? I think they're probably in terms of health equally important, but one of the things I've always appreciated also about meditation um, is that it's very portable, you know, like let's say you do your 12 minutes a day and that's a dedicated period where you're cultivating qualities like mindfulness, then you're commuting and you're getting agitated. You know, you don't have to shut your eyes, <laughs> especially if you're driving, uh, you don't have, or you're in your office, you know, you don't have to, Close your eyes and look weird. You don't need equipment. You could breathe. And that will be a centering process. And when we return to ourselves in that way, we return to our values. Remember our priorities. Remember what we really want. Mm. You know, so it's a very simple tool, but it's always with us. So, so again, practically about meditation, I can meditate. So this is not in a quiet room with white noise on and very calming. This is anywhere? Well, definitely anywhere, but you might want to do your 12 minutes in a quiet room if you can. Okay. You know, if your apartment is in New York City, it's not going to work. You know, but, <laughs> it's, but you can't do, you can't meditate while you're being active though, can you? Or can, yeah, you, can, can you drive? Sure. It, can you meditate while you're driving? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to go into a deep state of concentration, clearly, you know, but... <laughs> Um, I mean, you know those moments when you you've driven a while and you realize I have not been here at all. Yes, like, I, that's scary I sometimes. This? By the way, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't need those, you know, so much. But every now and then, feeling your hands on the steering wheel or coming back to your body, just like grounding. Okay, here we are. You know, um, would be the way you would do it. But if you're sitting in front of a computer, you know, you can. Remember to breathe now and then. Or if you're on Zoom, you I mean, there are active meditations as well where you're actually wishing people well. You know, may you be happy, may you be peaceful. 
you're looking at all those little faces, you know, doing that, or they're Emojis. walking meditations, they're moving meditations uh, as you're walking. What from are room some to of your fa- some of the things that you like to to repeat over and over again? May you be, may you be, may, may you be, be happy, maybe yeah, peaceful. may you be safe. I mean, this is kind of a classic one. May you be safe, be happy, be healthy. Uh, live with ease, which means in the things of day-to-day life, like livelihood and family, may not be such a struggle. May you live with ease. And so it's like a blessing, you know, instead of mm-hmm. with yourself, instead of going through the list of your faults again, you know, uh, it's wishing yourself well. And with those people, you know, one of my favorite things to do if I go into a company or an organization to teach is to ask how many other people need to be doing their job well for you to be able to do your job well. Because really, mm. it, we live in interdependence. And, you know, a physician who is the head of a large medical practice, you know, like a year ago or something in a hospital, said to me, you know who I have an increased appreciation for? It's the cleaning staff. And I thought, well, yeah, mm. you know. Yeah. And so sometimes we... Those people we usually look right through. We ignore, we discount, we objectify. We take a moment and silently wish them well in the same way. You know, all those people who are people, not objects, you know, and yeah. uh, things like that, that we we can extend that, that sort of sense of blessing. You know, you've said that, uh, or at least you have, you have data, or I think you've written about this too, that, that meditation increases levels of happiness yeah can we can you tell us how it does that and how that works um there's some um systems that believe we we basically have a happiness set point more or less in our life and if something dazzling happens something really great happens we go way up for a while and then we go back to that set point more or less Something dreadful happens, we go way down for a while, and then we more or less come back to where we were. So Daniel Kahneman, who got a Nobel Prize but in economics, I mean, that's one of his. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's one of his um, presentations, and I mean, I've heard him do that presentation and other people as well. And um, wait, I'm sorry. Go back to that. I'm sorry. What what presentation are you talking about? About Kahneman the did? happiness set point. You know, happy to set point. Okay, right. Yeah. Yep. So, um, the uh, some of the neuroscientists studying meditation because that that's been a popular thing, to, an increasingly popular thing to do. Um, believe that meditation will actually change that set point, mm. so that it it. Uh, is a higher set point. You know, we're not kind of going back down the same old place. Yeah, I won the lottery, but that was six months ago. You know, now I'm back to same old schlumpy life, you know. Um, and so it's things like that, you know, that are more subtle than the kind of obvious benefit. You can see somebody doesn't feel so burdened or so stressed out. They can let go more easily. They can adjust more easily. Hmm. More resilient. Yeah, more resilient. For sure. So I like the idea of meditation raising your happiness set points. 
And, but, but again, consistent meditation, doing something five to 12 minutes, many days a week. And your point, Sharon, you like to do it at kind of every day or mm-hmm. other, else you're going to put it off to put it off like a lot, a lot, a lot of humans. It's a very mm-hmm. human thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just do it every day. And it's funny, the, uh, my producer Mallory was just saying the heads, the headspace app. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever heard of the headspace app. Medita- it connects with ways for directions and, it does? and, and offers, <laughs> yeah, and offers meditation prompts like heavy traffic ahead. Try to refocus by feeling the seat beneath you. But that's a real thing. That. That's yeah, great. Yeah, that's a real thing. Uh, so you've written almost a dozen books. How are you doing so much of the Jerry? Does it just come out? Just I've I've written four, and it's been like they've been all pulling teeth. I know forever. I'm turning one in in uh, three days, so I I would never say it just happened, you know. But it's a big deal. But but you've done so many of those. So you really you probably do enjoy writing. You probably like it. I well, of course, it's a love hate relationship. But yeah, I do, that's what it is. That's you know? what it is. I have to stop saying I only like having written because that's what it is. That's I'll admit that it's a love hate. Sometimes I really do love it. And sometimes I, I get when it's frustrating, it's like, I'm wasting. I feel like it's like a wasted time doing nothing. Nothing good came of this time. And I'm frustrated, more frustrated than when I started. So that's, <laughs> I don't know why I've never said it that way. It really is. It's love hate. That's what it yeah, is. Yeah. But I do, I do enjoy it. I mean, it is my creative medium and it, um, you know, so much of my uh, early teaching, this is of course before Zoom. Um, because I'm that old, but uh, you know, it was the people in the room, and that—that's who you were getting close to, and that's who you were sharing with. And and the first time I read a book, uh, it, my first book came out in 1995, and all of a sudden people were writing me, you know, and saying, "I read your book." Or one person. This real happiness, the the New York no, Times my, bestseller. My first right? book was Loving Kindness, which is about that kind of meditation. And uh, yeah, somebody write wrote and said, "I, you know." found your book in the trash and I was working on a ship. <laughs> I was like, okay. And it was great for me, you know, and you think, oh, look at that. The book travels, you know, and people find it and you never meet them. You're never in the same room, but you have a connection anyway. I guess I would say, yeah, yeah, that is an interesting part about writing. And then what about real happiness then? Because that was then kind of, an, that yeah. took off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that went yeah. around the world. Yeah. That that was very exciting and and very. Um, uh, originally, that book was called um, "Why Meditate," because that's what it was about. And then uh, I got an advanced copy of a friend's forthcoming book, and his was called "Why Meditate." It was coming out before mine, so we quickly had to come up with a new title, and we came up with "Real Happiness." And I knew it would be controversial because for a lot of people, happiness is sort of stupid. You know, it's like. Uh, superficial, it's being happy-go-lucky, it's being mm. conflict-avoidant and uh, having no depth. And and so I found myself kind of a defender of happiness, which is, it was very funny. Um, well, I'll join, your, I'll join your happiness defense because I wrote a book. Well, maybe that's why my, none of my publishers would ever let my title, Happiest Retiree on the Block, is the title for the first book or the book I did almost 10 years ago. And they decayed the title, and then the, it was the hap, It was the title of my second book, and they decayed that title. So 
in both yeah. cases neither that would did they let me do that so but i did i did i did my latest book is what the happiest retirees know oh that's great what the happiest retirees know 10 secrets for a healthy secure and joyful life um where though so so you've done real happiness loving kindness and then your latest book just can you tell our audience just a little bit about your latest book real change well i um uh, a sort of unfolding in my teaching life was that uh, for many years I've worked a lot with people we call caregivers who either in their personal lives were caring for a parent, caring for a child, caring for a spouse who was ill, or in their professional lives. You know, they were first responders or uh, in the healthcare profession or um, uh, and internationally with, you know, internationally humanitarian aid workers and people who are really on the front lines of suffering in a lot of ways and were doing amazing work and I think really upholding society and often very unappreciated, you know, and uncelebrated. And uh, people with tremendous empathy and care who were burning out nonetheless, you know, for other reasons, maybe more compassion for others than for themselves or maybe yeah, unrealistic happens. expectations, you know, not being able to understand limits. I can't fix this. I can't fix everything for all people, whatever it was. And that, uh, year, those years sort of of appreciation for that work kind of led me also to people who are activists, people who were uh, in movements trying to make change for society of one kind or another. And so that book, Real Change, was really about uh, people I'd met like that who either were using meditation as a way of sustaining their work and their, their mm. being, or um, were using those, those same values, even if they weren't using those methods. And uh, it was in part to show people who were meditating who wanted to make a difference in the world that they could, you know, that, and, and for the people who were working in those ways that, Hopefully there were tools that, that could help sustain that effort. So if I want to go out today and find a guided meditation, where, what's, a, what's a practical step I can do? Literally, like, as soon as I finish listening to this podcast, where am I going? You could go to Real Happiness. You could buy the book. Or, or um, and there's so many, you know, audios and, as you said, YouTube. And, you know, I've, I've heard of young activists um, who talk about loving kindness meditation, for example, in interviews. And I asked my friend, where they learn that? You know, and she said, YouTube, they learn everything from YouTube, you know, like, so. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, Sharon, you've got some meditations on YouTube, obviously, right? I know at least yeah. I've, I've gone through one at least. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, keep writing. I mean, you've only done eleven books. You're gonna get. You're gonna get to. Well, I guess this will be your twelfth. You say you're this just turning it in. I'm turning it in Monday. And is that real change or that's another? What's no, no, a new, that, new that's new one? real life. <laughs> oh, that's real life. It, it's it's, it's so coming. That's not even going to be on the market for a while. No, no, it's it's going to take a year. Yeah, real life. Okay, you've got some time on that one. Real happiness, real change, real life. I like that moniker. I, I, I it's nice that your friend stole your original title i i'm sure i know that, that feeling of thinking like yeah. shit 
That was my title. <laughs> my whole book is referencing the title. How am I going to change it now? It's really difficult exactly. to do. Um, all right. Well, you are wonderful. Thank you for being here with us on the Retire Sooner podcast. Thank you so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go right away and buy your books, actually. You can retire sooner than you think. And that's the first one. You can retire sooner than you think. And then uh, what the happiest retirees know. So right. how about your podcast? Give us a two second on that, on Meta Hour. Right. Meta, M-E-T-T-A, uh, means loving kindness. And I, I just uh, talk to people, you know, who are um, either prominent in the world of caregiving or activism or meditation or mindfulness. And it's really fun. I find. Well, you've gotten 3 million downloads. So yeah. it's kind of, a, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, God bless you. Thank you for being here. Sharon. Thank you so much. Hey y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information.